Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to Let Freedom Reign podcast. Before we get started, I just want to let you know, this episode is brought to you by Buckaroo Media, a digital marketing company that focuses on social media that cultivates relationships between brands and their customers. Buckaroo Media prides themselves on building genuine and authentic connections. Digital marketing doesn't have to be overwhelming or overly time-consuming. With Buckaroo Media on your team, you're free to focus on the areas of your business which you're most passionate about, and let Buckaroo Media handle the rest. Check them out on Instagram at buckaroo.media or Facebook at Buckaroo Media. For more information about Buckaroo Media and how they can grow your Western brand, visit buckaroomedia.com. B-U-C-K-A-R-O-O-M-E-D-I-A.com. Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome, everybody, to another week here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. You know, faith is a big part of many of our conversations here on the show, and oftentimes we talk about God's timing. The following interview you're about to hear is many months in the making. We had to call quite a few audibles to get the dates and the times all lined up, but in the end, we were able to sit down with Executive Director and Co-Founder of the Mighty Oaks Foundation, Mr. Jeremy Stallnecker. Mighty Oaks is doing some amazing things to foster recovery in our nation's active duty, veteran, and first responder communities. Jeremy has served our country in the Marine Corps, has worked in ministry, and now devotes his time to the Mighty Oaks Foundation. I know we typically release episodes on Sundays, but we thought it rather fitting to hold on to this episode for a day and release it here on Veterans Day. For those of you listening who are active duty veterans or first responders yourself, or maybe have a family member who is, the content discussed in this episode and the programs offered from the Mighty Oaks Foundation are an incredible resource for personal development no matter what season of life you are in. As always, should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice would mean the world to us. You can find us on both Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. I hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is our conversation with Executive Director and Co-Founder of the Mighty Oaks Foundation, Mr. Jeremy Stallnecker. I've been to, you know, in the last nine years, probably 120 programs or something, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I learn something new every time that I'm running your organization. Uh, it doesn't matter where you are in life. You can benefit from it. You don't yeah. have to worry about taking someone else's seat. Yeah. Um, thankfully, we have enough programs now that uh, there's always another opportunity. So you'd be welcome to attend any of those sessions. But and we mm-hmm. can talk about this, too, if you like. But yeah. we have two dedicated first responders programs this year, too. So. No, I think it's all applicable, you know, and I'm I'm more than willing to just plug in where you, where you all see fit. But yeah. The biggest thing yeah, is just the growth, you know, is just, oh, there's yeah, always, there's always something, no matter how good you think you are. And that's just the one thing that I've kind of, I've had my challenges, I faced them and I, I, I truly, I am in a good place right now, but it's one of those things. I think maybe it could always be better or maybe there's a different perspective or maybe you can just yeah. clean up this one thing that, that needs maintenance. I don't know. Yeah. You know, just kind of my yeah. perspective on it. No, you're right. And, uh, yeah, anyone anywhere can can benefit just from the time even. So yeah, good, it's good stuff. Good stuff. So before we get rolling too far into this show, um, I'd like to give guests a little context as to who you are and kind of how things came to be. We're deviating from the typical format here on this show. We talk a lot about horses and horsemanship and how you can better your lives through faith and things of that sort, and making yeah. those parallels between faith and horsemanship. But you are the executive director, co-founder of the Mighty Oaks Foundation. 
previous guest, Jeremy Harrell, previous guest of this show, Jeremy Harrell, has attended your program, obviously speaks volumes about it. So being that a lot of this first responder, uh, active duty veteran community is deeply involved in the horse world, right? They kind of parallel each other. I wanted to bring you guys on to avail you as a resource to some folks and maybe provide a little insight, you know, being a program director and and what it takes to help kind of get folks some help or, or, yeah. or get them into your program. So let's just start with a little bit of your history and, and how things came to be into the evolution of, of Mighty Oaks. Yeah, let's do it. I know being a Marine was always a goal of yours, and obviously you achieved it and achieved success there. So let's just start with that. You know, I was raised in a very conservative home, um, not a military home, but, uh, you know, my dad was a patriot. My grandfather uh, did serve in World War II. It wasn't something that he ever talked about. He was young. I think he was 17 when he went to, to Europe and came home after two years and had done his service. So he moved on. Um, so not really a, a military home, but a very patriotic home, a, a home where service and community were virtues. You know, all of us should be involved in our community. All of us should serve others. So the idea of the military was not a foreign one. And when I was a teenager, I had some friends who were in the military, were in the Marine Corps specifically. And uh, really, my heart started to stir, stir toward that. Um, read some great stories of those who had served in World War II and in Vietnam. And, and um, you know, I was a teenager in the early 90s. So, um, you know, Desert Storm happened, Somalia was happening, all these, you know, kind of smaller things were happening, but uh, I felt very connected to them. So went into the Marine Corps after college. Uh, I was commissioned as a second lieutenant. Uh, ended up in an infantry battalion with 1st Battalion, 5th Marines, uh, based out of Camp Pendleton uh, here in California. And, uh, man, had a great time. Uh, but through all of it, so this was the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, it's all I had ever wanted to do was to be a Marine, but ultimately to serve uh, in combat somewhere, um, which, you know, folks in the veteran community understand that, but a lot of people don't. <laughs> Why would you want to go to war? Exactly, uh, exactly. Well, because it's, you know, we liken it to uh, practicing for a football game. You know, you practice all season. You never get to play. Uh, the practice was fun. <laughs> you learned some stuff, but uh, you didn't get on the team so that you could you could practice. And, yeah, it's time to get on the field and show it off. Yeah, that's right. I think in the law enforcement community, it's the same. People don't understand, you know, they're dangerous calls and dangerous people. And why would you want to respond to those things? Well, because for a lot of people, that's why they got into, um, you know, kind of the, uh, the sheepdog. Uh, world right is yeah. to protect people yeah. and to be involved in those things and so um i started to get close to the end of my uh initial contract with the marine corps and decided to get out and in that process 9-11 happened and obviously that changed everything it changed you know changed the world but it also changed my world and about a year later uh, just over a year later we would deploy to kuwait my battalion would with uh, the first marine division and uh, march uh 19th 2003, the first battalion of Marines and the rest of the division, of course, but our battalion breached the berm between Kuwait and uh, Iraq, secured the the southern objectives in the country and started to make our march toward toward Baghdad. So, yeah, the world changed and that was an exciting time. There's so many things I could say about that experience and, you know, a lot of your folks listening would have that experience or similar to it, but uh, a young man learning a lot of things and seeing a lot of things, experiencing a lot of things. But for me, as bad as a lot of that was, and, you know, we could all compare um, who had the worst experience stories, I guess. But um, 
in all of that, I felt like I was, I was finally for the first time in my life doing what, uh, I thought I was put on the earth to do, to, to lead, to, uh, accomplish things and to push forward and, and had the opportunity to do that. Now I had gotten the ball rolling to get out before that. So, uh, <laughs> you always so, got to have a plan, right? Yeah. So the timing, I don't know. Um, you know, I said to someone this last week, if the war had, had happened a year earlier, I probably would have stayed in the Marine Corps, but it didn't. Yeah. And, uh, we had put a lot of things in place and we bought a house, a lot of different things we would, uh, or a lot of things we would not have done otherwise. And, uh, uh, then the war happened and we deployed. So, um, uh, I went ahead and got out. We came back from, uh, from Iraq at the beginning of June, of uh, 2003, July 1st, 2003, I was, I was working at a church, uh, the church that my family and I had been attending and, you know, <laughs> it's funny. People say, I don't know, it's been great and a great transition. And it should have been the people around me wanted it to be, but, uh, I made it really, really hard for everyone for about a year just really struggled with my transition. And, and I don't think it was for me, I don't think it was, um, you know, combat trauma or combat stress. Uh, it, it may have been some of the stress just from that event and then coming home and getting dropped back into, you know, what's considered a normal rhythm of life. But, um, I think more than anything, it was, I had pointed my life toward this thing since I was really 14 years old. Um, I went and did that thing. I was in combat. Not only was I in combat, but at that point in history, uh, th- there was nothing else going on, right? I mean, in 2003, we thought that the war was over. Uh, we thought that we went, ousted a dictator, uh, took over a country, and now there was going to be peace on the earth. We know in hindsight that's not what happened, but you know, at that time in history, that's what we thought had happened. And I came home. I left that, leading Marines, doing important things historically significant things. And now I'm, you know, working with the volunteers at our church and I'm trying to find my way into this new, uh, thing and fighting with people on the church staff and screaming at my wife and kids. And I was just out of control for a while. And, and, you know, a big part of that was I just lost. I, I knew who I was when I was in the Marine Corps, but my identity, um, you know, personally, I felt had changed. I didn't know who I was anymore. And it's true in talking, in my experience, right, we've had quite a few veterans on the show and they share their experiences. And yes, some of their struggles are trauma-based, but the overwhelming majority, it is, it's that, I guess I'm going to, I'm going to use the word identity crisis, but I don't know if that's an accurate depiction, you know, and you go from where everything matters, you're leading, you're making decisions, there's structure, and then you're on a flight and now it's just back amongst civilian life and it's yeah. willy nilly and there's not that structure and there's not the planning and there's not the familiarity of what has brought you so much success throughout your military career. Yeah. You know, we could talk about this particular aspect uh, for the next two hours. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but, but, but the identity piece is, is crucial. And I would say, you know, as a passing comment and you know, if you want to dive into it, we can, but, yeah. but, a passing comment, if your identity is tied with a career, a job, a uniform, a role, you know, whatever, <clears throat> if that's your identity instead of just something that you do, then when that thing changes, your identity is lost. And you know, it's not a big complicated psychological <laughs> thing. Yeah. It's I was that, not I did that, but I was that. I was a cop. Um, I was a, you know, for me, I was a brain infantry leader. Um, I was this, I was that. Well, when that thing ends and it's going to end someday, maybe it'll end a year from now. Maybe it will end 
you know, 25 years from now, maybe 30 years from now, but eventually it ends. Well, if my identity was that, that's who I was when that's gone. I mean, who am I now? Yeah. Yeah. You almost lose your soul. You lose your, you you definitely, you definitely lose your reason for existing. And when we talk about trauma, traumatic things happen. And if someone though, I would say if, I guess when something happens, because it will, when the trauma takes place, if your identity is secure, you know, I'm not this job. I'm not this traumatic event that's taken place. And a lot of people become kind of the event. If I'm not those things, my identity is somewhere else. Then you can process through the trauma, not forget it, not, you know, we use phrases like get over it. You never get over it, but uh, it can be a point of growth and inflection, uh, something you use to help other people instead of something that steals your purpose and your identity and your direction. So, yeah. yeah, for me, that was, you know, that was my struggle. I, I just lost myself in all of it. It took me a while to, to really get that back. So, <clears throat> excuse me. It's this cold California air. It's killing me. <laughs> it's like 65 degrees right now, but uh, for some reason. I was going to oh, say, speaking, speaking of Southern California, how's the yeah. wind? <laughs> Have the winds finally subsided, or are you guys still yeah, getting hammered down is, there? Yeah, the wind is, no, it's been crazy, but but right now it's not bad at all. I mean, it's, it's uh, I'm looking at the trees right now. They're barely moving. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm looking out the window. We got dead still trees, and there's no smoke. Nothing's on fire, so life is good for us up here. Yeah, it's actually really beautiful right now, so I don't know what my problem is, but yeah. uh, just weakness, I guess. But, but uh, yeah, so coming through that, you know, I, I, I made a decision at some point in that first year, probably the end of that first year that I had hurt <laughs> enough people and the problem was mine. And so while I would always be proud of my service, I was just not going to, you know, be that anymore. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit shoulder and that kind of thing. Yeah. I want to, I want to further develop kind of the decision-making process in that transition. Yeah. Right. Cause I think this is kind of a pivotal road that that's very typical of people who live any life of service. Right. We have all been indoctrinated. We have all found some of our identity in the task. Right. Yeah. Some of us have the wherewithal to understand, <laughs> Hey, this is what I do, not who I am, but the lion's share do find their identity in their task or their role or their job. Sure. So when you're coming out and you're kind of reassimilating and you're realizing things are not going good, what was kind of the decision process or where were you at in life for you to take that step back and realize, okay, change has got to take place or maybe yeah. I got to revisit something else. Cause I think a lot of people get hung up in that or they just flat don't face the challenge because it's so overwhelming. Yeah. Well, so I won't say I did it right, but I did the only thing I knew how to do at the time. But the experience I, is valuable nonetheless. Yeah. R- no, right. And it, you know, it's crazy how things work out, but it put me in the place where later on I would figure some of this out. But so I was working at the church. I was just a guy on staff. I was, you know, I wasn't even there to, to be involved in ministry per se, other than to, you know, do some project stuff and mm-hmm. just help with the functioning of the church. So, so I'm on the staff. Um, this is the church where my family and I had attended when I was, serving, uh, as a Marine, you know, they had supported us when my kids were born, uh, supported me while I was gone took care of my wife while I was deployed a couple of times. Um, so, so these people love us <laughs> and they care about us, but I created so much just discord while working there that like 11 months into, um, you know, me serving or whatever, working on the staff there, my pastor called me into his office and said, Hey man, I, I have no idea what's going on with you. You know, remember this is 2003. So yeah. 
um, PTSD and trauma and all that, that's, that's not a conversation anyone was having. So I don't know what's going on with you. I don't know what you're doing, but, but something has to change. And if you can't figure out what your problem is, uh, then you're going to have to go somewhere else. <laughs> that was the conversation, right? Uh, safe. So put up or shut up. Yeah. So it was, <laughs> you know, I'm happy to help you, but I don't know what you're doing. Yes. So, you, you know, something has to change. And then he said, so I want you to, this is a Friday. I want you to take the, uh, the weekend and next week off. And when you come back, tell me what you're, what you're going to do. <laughs> All right. Sweet. Uh, yeah. So got in the car. Uh, that was, that was in Oceanside here in Southern California. Dropped my kids off at my parents' house and, um, drove up the coast. I actually drove to San Francisco. I, I just, I didn't know what to do. So it was my wife and I, and we just drove and for, you know, several days talked through a lot of this and, you know, I mean, that was a, a pretty strong wake up call for me. Now, one yeah. of the things I hadn't done was tried to medicate my pain or my frustration or my anger with drugs or alcohol or anything else. So, which is a blessing because it's a very yeah, common occurrence. That's right. And I was in a good place to make a change because really it, it was a change of mind. It, it wasn't a change of habit. The rest of it, it was a change of mind. So when I, when I was kind of clear enough to look at everything, I, you know, understood it was not everyone else it wasn't everyone else's problem it wasn't people are not nice to me it wasn't people don't understand me maybe they did or maybe they didn't but me being a you know a jerk to everyone that was my problem not everyone else's problem yeah and i mean really that was the catalyst for it and so you know for me coming back then and and trying to repair some of those relationships and move forward meant um, i'll be thankful for what i did in the marine corps but I'm not going to stay connected to it. I'm not going to stay connected to the people I served with. You know, I'm just going to move on. Mm -hmm. And and Mm -hmm. that's what I did. Yeah. It's incredible to have the, the, the foresight in it. And I mean, I've had those same conversations with my wife, right? You, when you start really peeling back the layers and they're not easy conversations to have in it, and it's not desirable, right. To be put in a position where you have to have that realization that, you know what, I'm contributing to this, a problem a lot more than I think I am. And it requires some soul searching and things of that sort. But yeah, I think this is this is a great segue into. I mean, I'm a I'm a firm believer. People in in a life of service, you're just hardwired to do it, whatever the scale is. Right. Right. Some serve our country. Some serve domestically. You know, others serve soup kitchens, ministries, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you obviously have this this interwoven thread of service. Where how do we get to all of your the development of your ministry efforts, the development yeah. of Mighty Oaks? So, um, can I add one thing to what I just said? You can always uh, add. Just cause, I, <laughs> cause I'm thinking about it. And there's one piece that I think is just important to remember. Um, one of the things I really struggled with and, and I, I know this is true in the veteran community. I'm sure it's true in the first responder community as well is, you know, so this is one of the things I struggled with, you know, with my identity is they don't understand, and you know, yes. who is they, I don't know. It's just, they, yeah. it's everybody. They don't understand. I don't understand my job, et cetera. And one of the things in that process I had to come to understand was they don't understand, nor should they. <laughs> it's true, and, right? And you don't understand them either. So why is it that we put this unfair expectation on our community to understand what it's like to be a cop or uh, the civilian population on what it's like to go to war? They don't understand, but they're compassionate. I mean, most people are, and they're, you know, people aren't, but most people are, but that doesn't mean they understand. They won't understand. 
So let's not put that unrealistic expectation on them. That's just a way to blame other people for our bad behavior. It's but, true. And I think it also parallels like how exciting the times are right now and some of this recovery, growth, leadership, training, however you wanted to describe it, right? Yeah. Because so much of historical help, that's where the breakdown takes place, right? Well, how is this? How do I relate to this psychologist, right? How does a psychologist yeah. know or the psychiatrist know? Or how does my family member know what it's like? To nearly be blown up or watch your buddies be blown yeah. up, right? Or yeah. all the atrocities that take place in some of these first right. responder and, and, and war communities, right? But now we're getting to the point with foundations such as yours and a lot of these communities where you have cops giving back, right? right? You have guys that have walked those strides or women that have walked those same exact strides. So yep. it's an easier way to to break down that protection or break down that wall of, well, you can't relate to me. And it's like, no, 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 I can relate to you, man. Yeah, I was deployed right. that same time. <laughs> or, hey, you know, right. I've had the same exact experience and I'm good. And it's almost a, an assimilation form of leadership. You know, I've walked yeah. in your shoes. Let's do this together. Yep, that's absolutely right. No, you're, you're 100%. And I, I think we use a lot of things to keep us from making that decision to finally take responsibility and move forward. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that's where I was. And I, I would say at the end of, well, I guess I don't know the time it would have been a year. So the middle of 2004 sometime, mm-hmm. um, I finally you know, kind of got my feet underneath me and, you know, my wife would say it, it took about 10 years, but, but I, and it probably did, but, but the first year was the hardest for me. And I finally started moving forward, served at the church for a while. And then, um, <clears throat> eventually as a guy who really didn't want to be in ministry, uh, I ended up pastoring a small church up in uh, Fremont, <laughs> California, because that's how it works. You say, I'm never yeah. going to do that. That's yeah. the one thing I'll never do. And yeah. that's the thing you end up doing. <clears throat> and it was, uh, it was a great experience. And I served, uh, served there as the pastor for about seven years. And in the process of that, so a lot there, but in the process of that, one of the guys that I had served with, so one of the Marines that I was in Iraq with, uh, out of the blue, he, he reached out to me through Facebook. You know, I didn't keep in touch with anyone other than accepting Facebook friend requests, right? I mean, that was it. And that was <laughs> the extent of the social dialogue. That was the extent of it. I, I didn't, you know, whatever. I just, it was just kind of difficult for me personally to look but back. But sometimes and, that separation's healthy, right? Yeah. And it was for me, I think during that yeah. period of time. Yeah. But, but I, you know, I assumed that I brought these guys home. Um, I did what I was supposed to do. And so I'm really proud of that. I took care of them and then I moved on. So 10 years later, he reaches out to me and, and says, Hey, we're going to this thing. There's this program. It's just getting started. I met the founder. He needs some people to attend. Would you be willing to come to Colorado uh, where we're going to meet and, and uh, spend some time with us? There'll be about 10 guys from the platoon, maybe some other people, but uh, it'd be cool to have you come out. So I was pastoring a church. Um, you know, I felt like I was in a pretty healthy, stable place in my life. <laughs> That's yeah. Um, but, you know, I thought, well, yeah, I will. Um, I even counseled a couple people. It's funny because you wouldn't think that'd be a hard decision, right? But a couple people I knew, I'm like, Hey, what do you think about this? Yeah, go do that. You know, cause I just stayed away from it for so long. Mm-hmm. So I ended up in Colorado with, um, you know, several guys from my old platoon. Um, and that's where I met Chad Robichaud. Chad's the, Chad and his wife, Kathy founded the Mighty Oaks Foundation and they were just getting started. So, um, you know what that means practically, and, and you come from this community, so you know, you know, in our world, uh, there's not a lot of trust. And yes. So yes. <laughs> he, was, he was trying to start this thing because he came back from Afghanistan. He struggled. He had a mentor who really helped him and he wanted to do the same for other people. Right. So, you know, that's all it was, but he could not get anyone to attend. 
not anyone. It was very hard to get people to attend. So that's why you reached out to the guys that, you know, I knew and said, yeah, just bring them and, and we'll run a program. Just get so, some bodies here. <laughs> just get some bodies here. That's when I met Chad. So uh, Chad's the founder. We became friends that week. And uh, eventually that would become, you know, he had, he had the, you know, the drive to get it started. I had some of the uh, kind of the ministry foundation and, you know, you know, putting curriculum and programs together. And so, um, you know, from that meeting forward, um, I was always part of Mighty Oaks and developed a lot of, or helped him develop a lot of uh, what became what we do now. But it was during that, that, that week, you know, how did I get involved in this after kind of walking away from the military? Yeah. A lot of conversations, but one night in particular, um, the guys that I had served with, there were some other people at the program, but the guys that I had served with, we were all sitting around a big fire. There's a the house we were in had a fireplace upstairs and it was one of those big open, uh, you know, fireplaces in the middle of the room. And we were sitting there around that and just talking. And I was listening to their stories and, and, uh, I've got this picture in my office. It, it hangs over my office, my desk. And it has since I uh, left the Marine Corps of my platoon in Baghdad. And it's all the guys that I was with in Baghdad. Um, I've always looked at that. I've always been very proud of that because that represented coming home and doing my job and, you know, then I put my uniform in the closet and I'd accomplished my mission. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sitting there now, 10 years later, listening to these guys talk and, and, uh, hearing stories about guys in those, in, in that picture, <laughs> guys that committed suicide when they came home because they couldn't handle whatever was going on in their lives. Yeah. Guys that went back to Fallujah and other battles and were killed in combat marriages that were, you know, annihilated because of, of service and bad decisions. One of the guys that was sitting there was one of the young Marines that was in my platoon when we deployed. And he said, you know, for a long time, I hated you. And I mean, I had no really? idea. I didn't communicate. Yeah. With you. Yeah, okay. And I'm explaining that. He said, you said you'd always be there for us. You'd always, you know, take care of us. Um, and then we went back to Fallujah and you got out of the Marine Corps. You, you didn't take care of us like you said you would. And, you know, a lot of time had passed. He said, I understand now why you left. I understand all of that now. But he said, for a long time, I hated you. And, and it was those conversations and probably that statement in particular that really for the first time got my attention and caused me to go, you know what, <laughs> uh, your service to the people, maybe not your country, but your service to the people with whom you serve does not end when you put the uniform in the closet for the last time. Yeah. Uh, I was so proud that I had brought those kids home and I had taken care of them and I had returned them to their families. It's a huge accomplishment. And then I walked away from them. Yeah. And, it, you know, and it, when I'm having a clear mind, I know I didn't walk away from them. I know I transitioned out of the military and I went on and did other things. It's seasons and of life, right? They're going to change. It's, it's seasons of life. But what I didn't do was ever reach back and go, how are you guys doing? Can I help you? Um, do you need anything from me? You know, and it wasn't, at that time in my life, it wasn't, I needed to have started a nonprofit to work with veterans. But I really could have stayed connected to those guys who needed some help. And, you know, and I didn't. And, you know, again, I don't feel bad about it other than it, it, it kind of opened my eyes to the reality that I still have an obligation uh, to serve those who, uh, who I said I would take care of and I would be there for. Um, and that, you know, for me grew from that group of guys to veterans and first responders and others who have served. Because, you know, it's exactly what you said earlier while there are good counselors and there are good programs and, and some super sincere people, I, I think, I think personally it's ridiculous for veterans to complain about 
public perception. Um, veterans have become almost a sacred cow. Yeah, right. You can't touch true. them. You can't touch them because they're veterans. They served. Yeah. And no one will ask the follow-up question. Where did you serve or when did you serve? Or, mm-hmm. you know, what are you doing now? Right. So, so for a veteran to complain about support in the United States is ridiculous in my opinion. Um, but, uh, often there is that barrier of, I know you want to help me. You just don't understand where I'm coming from or whatever. And really the answer to, in my opinion, the answer to the veteran suicide issues and, you know, we would call it an epidemic because it's, it's horrible. Uh, I think this is true in the law enforcement and first responder community. Uh, I believe the answer is people who have served and have done it and have struggled telling their stories, being vulnerable and open, um, but doing it so that they can carry other people forward. I, I 100% believe that's, that's the answer. And for me, uh, that was the piece that I had to come to a realization like, wow, there is a lot of help out there. You know, say, well, there's organizations, there's programs, there's counselors, people helping them. Well, what, maybe what they need is a real connection with someone that really does understand and can say, you know, I, I know what it's like. I, I felt that. Yeah. And it's a struggle. Yeah. But there is hope. You can move forward. I don't have it all figured out, but I'm a few steps in front of you. And uh, I want to help you take those steps forward as well. So. And that's the biggest thing, right, is that this is a process, and, and when I talk to people about it, it's, I mean, it takes years typically, right? Years in a sure. career, whether you're a Marine or you're a cop or you're an ER physician, right? It takes years for you to get to that point where you just inoculate all that stress, set it aside, set it aside, set it aside, and eventually it's going to fester and come to light. Yeah, it will. It's unfair to you as a human being to think that you're going to get better in six months or you're sure. going to get better in a year. And I tell people, yeah. this is, it's, it's maintenance, right? You don't drive a car and drive a car and drive a car and never change the oil or never rotate the tires, right? right. You always got to stay on it. And it's something that these career fields change your life. They do. And I remember when I first got into it, you know, I had a, I had a mentor of mine tell me this, this, this career field will change who you are as a person. And I'm yeah. thinking pound salt, like I'm pretty grounded in who I am, right? right I got sure. a decent foundation. And then... As I sit there in my lowest of lows, I'm thinking, man, he's right. Yeah. I am I am way far down a road that I never even knew existed yeah, sure. on this earth, you know? Right. And we, as the first responder community or veterans um, or even active duty, right, we have to find a way to be more forgiving of ourselves and understand that it is a process and it's going to take time and there's going to be great successes and you're going to fall on your face. It's part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to that, you know, just as we should not unfairly put the burden of, they don't understand me on people who cannot possibly understand you. We should also not put the unfair burden on ourselves of, uh, I'm not going to change. Or if I've changed, there's something wrong with me. Or if I've changed, I never can get back what I was. And so, you know, in defining, defining what was, and if that's even where you want to go, I, Again, this is, you know, a big conversation and a lot of thought is required here. But if you go into the law enforcement field and, you know, you deal with kind of the worst that a community has to offer, uh, you can probably deal with that. But when you when you see innocence taken and people hurt who should not have been hurt and, you know, the the traumas of life that most people experience one time in their lives and a police officer in his career will experience, you know, 150 times or whatever in their life. Mm-hmm. these these severe traumas it will change you so the question i think you have to ask in that process is number one is it bad that i've been changed 
I, I would argue that no, if, if it doesn't change you, then you're probably a sociopath. <laughs> so, so true story. You will, you will, you will change. Of yes. course you will. It's inevitable. And so the second question is, what am I going to do with this change? And, you know, James Mattis, who was uh, secretary of defense, he was also the uh, commanding general of the first Marine division. And, you know, most people know him, uh, years ago he's talking about post-traumatic stress and he's the one coined the phrase post-traumatic growth and um in the process of the speech that he was giving he made a statement similar to this i'm not quoting it directly but similar to this we can either decide to grow through trauma or allow it to keep us from growing Mm -hmm. and now you know people who experience trauma and these difficult life things can become more compassionate more caring uh, more giving uh, more focused on their community and I, i i really think that people who have endured um, trauma because of, of service. And, you know, we're not talking about you know, a lot of the sexual traumas and those other life traumas, but when you're talking about being a police officer, being a, a veteran, people have seen difficult things and seen people hurt. We can internalize that and, you know, make it about us. I've been hurt. Or we can turn that around and say, I've seen some things that are not pleasant and I want to give back to my community. I want to help those who, who need help. And, Will we change? Absolutely. If you don't, there's probably something wrong with you. Yeah. And I think that's what it's been for, for me. The biggest driving point is that if I can help somebody yep. ease that road just one stride softer, right? then I've done my job because it's it's not a good place to be. It's not favorable. It's not desirable. It's not easy by any stretch. You know, I did not have a skill set. I did not have tools going into it. But walking down that road, I now have... I know I have a different me, right? A different way of looking at things. And and we talk a lot about on the show how perspective has a vast impact on outcome. It does. And, it, you know, the stuff you've seen and experienced and whatever, that's what qualifies you to help other people. Yeah. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I spent some time with the California Highway Patrol's peer support team and uh, talked through some of this with them. But in order to be a part of that peer support team, you have to have been you know, endured or dealt with some kind of personal trauma in your own life. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a qualification. I mean, before you can apply, <laughs> you yeah, have to have gone through it's something. True. It's true. Why is that? Because that's what qualifies you to help other people. And I really think we have to turn this, this trauma thing upside down and stop saying, you know, it's about me. And instead ask the question, how can I help others <clears throat> with what I've learned through this trauma? Now, people who have dealt with things need help. That's why programs like ours exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and we'll say this over the course of a, a week <clears throat> of programming, uh, we're not here to help you get back on your feet so you can live a great life. <laughs> uh, we're here to help you get back on your feet so you can turn around and help other people. And, you know, that's part of the process is getting in a place where you can then turn around and help other people. You know, just last week, I had a great conversation with a, a friend of mine. He's a, a bronc rider. He had a horse flip over on him, broke his back and paralyzed from the waist down, totally never walk again. And he's, he's made some incredible strides in his recovery and done things that have defied modern medicine, you know, and we often talk about faith and we had that exact conversation in the context of legacy that, you know, if that, if that wreck never took place, you probably would have gone on, you would have went to the national final rodeo that year, you'd have done Mm -hmm. well, maybe earned yourself another championship and you just would have walked right down the rodeo trail. But now after experiencing such physical trauma in his regard, the public speaking events, right? The churches that have hosted him, 
the the different engagements where he's he's sold his testimony, right? Told his testimony. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's hundreds, especially with social media now, right? There's hundreds of thousands of people that have been positively affected and inspired by his life, right? Because he's willing to share his story and 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 Jr.'s story is an exact depiction of what you portrayed, right? He could sit there and commiserate and say, poor me, and why this happened to me. Instead, he's completely flipped it on his head and he's inspired and developed and grown so much as a human being that now hundreds of thousands of people have been positively affected by his message. Yep, that's right. No, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's incredible what service can can do. Yep. So let's get into... I want to get into Mighty Oaks itself, right? What is the program intended to? We talked a little bit about its formation. Yep. What is it intended to accomplish? Who is it intended to serve? And sure. kind of how it come to be to avail itself as a resource for some of our listeners or maybe even family members of our listeners. Yeah. So I know you've had uh, Jeremy Harrell on, and I'm I'm sure he's he's kind of walked you through some of this. Oh, absolutely. We have four locations across the country. So there's a, a facility that we use. I say facility. It's a beautiful ranch that we use in San Luis Obispo County here in California, uh, a ranch that we are able to use in the hill country of Texas, in Junction, Texas. We have a, a place in uh, outside of Columbus, Ohio, and then one in northern Virginia. And we bring um, veterans, active duty service members, and first responders uh, and spouses to uh, to those locations. And we have a week-long program where we deal with a lot of the issues that we just talked about. Um, our program is a men's program and a women's program. So we have it separated men's and women's, but in each one of those, you'll have all of those categories that I just mentioned. And uh, really for a week, we talk about um, trauma, what it is, whether it's related to service of the community or the country, or it's just uh, life trauma. I mean, a lot of folks who have served in you know the military or in law enforcement or first responder, community are people who have endured trauma just personally, um, as children, as adults in their current relationships. So we talk about trauma, we talk about what it is and, and certainly what it will do to uh, a person, you know, emotionally and, and even physically. But, but more of what we talk about and really the core of what we talk about is how to move forward in light of your trauma. So something has happened to you, that's part of the human condition, you know, trauma, we struggle, we have things that happen to us. The question is, how do I move forward in spite of that? And so, you know, we are a faith-based organization. So you know, our premise is that there is a plan. We've been created with a plan. <laughs> and if we'll just pursue that plan, if we'll align to that plan, then the stuff in our past that has control over us uh, won't have that control anymore. That we get to decide if we're going to get up and move forward or just stay where we are and, you know, let life happen. So we do that. It takes about uh, five days, not about. It's a five-day program in one of those locations across the country. And thankfully, because we have some just tremendous donors, we're able to um, make that available at no cost to those who attend and uh, even the travel. Someone needs to get from you know Iowa to one of those programs. We'll cover the cost of travel so they can do that. We try to remove every barrier possible so that uh, everyone who needs help can get it. It's incredible that you guys facilitate that because oftentimes, right, if you think about some of the people that are in the most desperate need, yeah, maybe they haven't managed their money very well. I mean, they could be homeless. They could have addiction issues, right? There could be so many other things yeah. that their money has gone to, let alone a flight halfway across the country to get a week's worth of help. So, I mean, even with 
even if they do have money, right? There's so many mental hurdles that, that yeah. you have to overcome to get to a program. But for you yeah, guys to alleviate the financial side of it completely is just yeah. an absolute blessing. Yeah. And it's, it's both of the things that you just mentioned. We just want to remove the obstacles. So yeah. sometimes yeah. it's, there is no money. And a lot of times, honestly, it's, well, there is money, but you know, I got, <laughs> that, this, becomes, so I got that. Yeah. that becomes the excuse. And, and so our, our goal and, you know, we've got an amazing board who has gotten behind this and this, you know, is something we've done since the beginning is uh, it, it's, it's almost, it's not silly, but, uh, shocking when, <laughs> when you look at how much we spend on travel. Yeah. Um, and people will, will say, well, that's not programs. No, it is programs because that's what allows us to get yes. people into the program. Yes. And so, um, yeah, honestly, the biggest, the biggest, uh, single line on our budget is, uh, is travel, but you know, we're happy to do that because it gets folks to a place where they can get help. Yeah. I was talking to another, uh, founder yesterday of a foundation saddles and service in San Diego. And we had this exact conversation, how a lot of resources say, Hey, you know, veteran or first responder, we think you should get this help or this service. And that's it, right? It's a recommendation in vain, Yeah. but there's a lot more conviction when you say, Hey, we think you should get this service. And by the way, don't worry about it. Just show yeah. up. We'll feed you. We'll house you. We'll get you there. We'll cover your fuel bill or a family member's fuel yeah. bill, right? To get you on that plane or to get you to the airport to get you on that plane. It's just, it truly shows, in my opinion, it truly shows the the genuine support, right? You're pulling yep. out all the stops. If help, if help is the genuine priority in all of this, you have alleviated every hurdle, knocked down every weed, however you want to phrase it to make sure right. that help takes place. And that's, that's how we've looked at this is we have the help, we have the hope, we have the answer, but if people aren't getting to it, then what it's good not, is it? yeah, it's not any of those things. Yeah. So let's make that happen. Absolutely. Um, and with that, so, you know, talking about hurdles, one of the big hurdles for kind of one of the groups that we're focused on is, is the active duty military group. This would apply to the first responder group as well. If they're still working is, uh, you know, so your faith-based program and it's a week long, how do folks who are currently working or involved in this get, get involved. And man, we've had such great success. So we're faith-based, but you know, that doesn't mean it's a church program or, a or a, a Sunday school program. It just means we have a, a very specific perspective. We believe you can Correct. move forward because Correct. there is hope. And so we've worked with active duty commands in the military. We've worked with, um, man, many, many police departments and fire departments to, um, help folks get the time off that they need. The military will cut permissive orders. So non-funded uh, orders for folks to attend our program, which makes it possible for them to come without using leave. And uh, just about every police department we talk to uh, and fire department, I said the same thing. We want our folks to get help. And if we have to cut them loose for a couple of days to do that, then, then we'll do that. So, and it's great that um, the pendulum has since swung on that, you know, cause man, it's changed days, so yeah, days of old, yeah. it was your problem. You deal with it. Yeah. No, it's changed so much. And, I, and I'll tell you, it's interesting, but particularly on, in, in the law enforcement community and in the, and in the uh, active duty military community. So those two specifically, um, they want their folks to get help and come back to work. And often if their folks go to a clinical program of some kind, they're disqualified from coming back to work or at mm -hmm. least coming back in the same capacity. Mm -hmm. We're a non-clinical program. So yeah. folks can come to us. It doesn't cost them or their department anything. Yeah. And we're not recording anything. 
So we can give them the help they need and send them back and, and they can go back to work. And it's so, great that you're addressing that issue because the first concern with a lot of this stuff is, right, they're going to take my gun. Yeah. How can they're going to take, take my gun or they're going to put me behind a desk yeah. or I'm going to be looked at differently. Yeah. Um, you know, and none of that is necessary. Uh, you know, there's a place for you to get help without signaling, you know, I'm going to a, an inpatient program because I'm crazy or yeah. something. No, it's uh, great it, stuff. It's a ranch where you can come hang out with some other people you know, doing the same job you're doing and get some tools to help you move forward. And I think a big part of that too is a camaraderie. I know Jeremy Harrell's program focuses a lot on it, right? Is, is getting back together with like-minded folks Yes. in one regard, right? It provides that familiarity, that comfort of people that have served, but in the same vein, I kind of think it shows people that, Hey, I'm, I'm not isolated. This isn't, this isn't yep. just me going through this. There's plenty of other people who have had similar or even worse experiences, you know, yeah, and, and how 100%. do we all, how do we all band together? Right. And kind of, I mean, it goes back to the team aspect of it, right? It's all of us working towards a common goal. And I think when they get back to that environment that furnishes camaraderie, you can get back to that teamwork and get back to pushing towards success as a unit rather than isolated on an Island. That is exactly right. Fighting your own yep. fight. Yeah. Good stuff. So how can people become more involved in Mighty Oaks? Let's say they want to look up a little bit more about the programs, the schedules, what it has to offer. Yep. How can folks find either you on social media, Mighty Oaks on social media, or sure. or any other content that you guys yeah. push? The, the very best way to learn about Mighty Oaks is just to go to our website. It's mightyoaksprograms.org, mightyoaksprograms.org. And there you can learn everything about us, plus all of our social information is there. So if you want to follow us on Facebook or uh, the other social media platforms, you can, that's a, that's a great starting point. Now, if you are uh, just interested in the program because you know someone who you'd like to, to, uh, you know, give this information to, because you know, someone that needs to attend or you want to support financially, or you're just interested, that's a good place for you. If you want to attend or you feel like you need to attend um, on the homepage, on the left side, as you're looking at it, uh, it says apply now <laughs> and, and uh, you you go through that you apply um, as soon as you send that application off just ask for some basic information about you you'll get a response back you know right away and then in the next couple of days um, our applications team will get back to you and uh, start the process of uh, figuring out the best time for you to attend and we, we've always got something going on um, you know 30 programs this year across the country so just about every week we have uh, we have a program going on, so we'll we'll work with your schedule and, and get you in. I was going to say we can't we can't work through any of this without mentioning the the podcast as well, right? The Mighty Oak Show. Yeah, so the Mighty Oak Show. Uh, go to YouTube and look for the Mighty Oak Show. Uh, we have uh, our show on there. We do you know a YouTube show that we then cut out to podcast. If you'd like to listen to it, you can find it on any of the uh, any of the podcast sources. The Mighty Oak Show, but also on that YouTube channel. And this is you know one of the reasons I I love. Uh, that channel is because we have tons of other stuff on there and uh, the conversations we have on our show are all, you know, similar to this one uh, intended to be helpful and yeah. you know, give some, yeah. some thought and some direction to people who may be uh, grappling with these issues. But we also have stories of people who have been to our program. We have, um, you know, full length um, uh, speeches and, and different things that we've been able to deliver. So, Tons of information on that channel, and uh, yeah, I'd love for uh, anyone to go check that out. Subscribe, and you'll get all of that content as it becomes available. 
No, I love the show. And, and for me, my first introduction was obviously through Jeremy Harrell and him explaining kind of his his experiences and going through Mighty Oaks. Right. But then then buying into the podcast and starting to listen to the podcast. And like you said, a lot of these conversations kind of just solidifies that there's there's great people out there doing great stuff. And, That's right. And it's all about sharing those stories. It's really what it is. Absolutely. So I like to wrap every show and give every guest the opportunity to kind of leave their legacy or kind of share words to live by. So in your experiences, whether it is your career as a Marine or any of your time as a minister or working with Mighty Oaks, yeah, what is something that you would share with somebody, you know, to kind of help, help ease their travels maybe down the path that you, you had once traveled in your own life? Yeah. So I'll, I'll give a quick anecdote and then, uh, and then try to wrap that up. There's a, he's known for being an author Victor Frankl is his name. You may be familiar with him. Mm-hmm. He wrote a book called uh, Man's Search for Meaning. And for those that don't know, Victor Frankl was a psychiatrist, uh, a young psychiatrist during World War II, a Jewish man in Germany. He was interred in a concentration camp. His wife was killed um, shortly after they were pulled into different concentration camps. So a young man, a psychiatrist, lost his wife, and now he's observing the worst that humanity has to offer. And he did for, I think, four years. Um, his reflections on all of that are what became this book, Man's Search for Meaning. And he talks about how even in the worst of situations, the worst of conditions, the most traumatic environment you can imagine, there were people who were relatively happy. They just went about their day and did their thing and came out on the other side okay. And then those who weren't. He's the one who uh, coined the phrase, and it's a little bit different in translation, but we use you know, the phrase or the idea that it's, it's not the response to trauma that's the problem. It's the trauma that's the problem, right? Mm-hmm. To, to experience trauma and not be broken is, is a problem. Yeah. Um, but in, in all of that, he, he helps us to understand that between trauma and response, so something happens and then we respond. In the middle of that, he says there is space. And in that space, there's the power to decide. I think one of the most powerful things that we can get our arms around as human beings is the truth that people can do things to us, circumstances happen, trauma comes, but we never lose the ability to decide. We can decide what we're going to do with that. There's always hope. There's always the opportunity to grow and to move forward. And regardless of what situation you find yourself sitting in right now, you might think that's not true, but it's absolutely true. People can do things to you, but they cannot steal your ability to decide. Decide to get up and move forward one step at a time, and uh, you will such a powerful moment in everybody's recovery, right? That's right. Absolutely. We wish everybody the best of luck there at Mighty Oaks. And it's incredible to watch all the amazing work that you guys are doing for the veteran active duty and first responder communities. I appreciate it. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the time. It's great to talk. Yes, sir. Have a good one. We'll talk down the road. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks again, everybody for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, Go to patreon.com forward slash let freedom reign podcast. Again, we thank you and we'll see you on the next one.